the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, they detail some, in some ways, with some detail, how Christ, Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world. They provide us with some details. Born outside a small hotel in a little obscure village called Jewish village called Bethlehem in the great days of the Roman Empire. We get some of that story. But the story is oftentimes prettified. We dress it up at Christmas because it's a story that actually makes us feel good. It's on all of our Christmas cards. It's in the Christmas songs. And it can actually make us feel good to think about the nativity scene. But the story, if you actually ponder it, is pretty troubling. The reason why Jesus was born outside the hotel is that it was so full and that nobody in the place would offer a room or a bed to a woman in labor. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I tell my sons. Like, guys, if I ever find out that you were asleep in a bed while a woman was giving labor and she had to stay outside, I'll kill you. <laughs> but the story and its details aren't told to actually give us a moral lesson about how you should act in a situation like this. The story Matthew and Luke tell us of the birth of Jesus is not told so that we might understand the circumstances of the baby, but that we might understand the identity of the baby. That's why the story is here. It's not to tell us the circumstances, but that we might understand the identity. The song Silent Night is all about the baby born in Bethlehem. It's all about a baby born in Bethlehem, the baby born in Bethlehem. So what we learn from Silent Night and what we're going to learn as we look at some scriptures tonight is Christmas joy is found. If you really want to be happy at Christmas, if you want to find Christmas joy, it's found in the baby born in Bethlehem. That's what the song's all about. We know that there's something special about Jesus. We know that. But I think in, in seeking to express that sometimes, we, we get the Christmas story wrong. Here's one of the ways in which I think we can get it wrong. The, the writer of the song says, radiant beams from thy holy face. Now, I get what the writer's getting at. But it would make it seem as if on the night that Jesus was born, he glowed in a way that would uh, be different than the way normal babies glow. So I look at paintings, and you've seen some of these. Like, this is a painting, an example. Look, this is a painting from the Renaissance era. But do you see what they're doing here? Look at this baby. Like, he's on fire. And I, I want to ask the question, is that really, if you were there that night and you walked into that nativity scene, is that what would have clued you to the fact that Jesus was special? I, I don't think that it would have been that way. I think he would have looked like other babies born in Israel that night. 
The scripture tells us that, that even when Jesus was an, a, a child and, a, and a, a grew into a man, that there was nothing about his physical presence that would have drawn you to him, that would have stood out in some way. But through the eyes of faith, we do know Jesus to be special, right? That the baby born in Bethlehem is special. And the only way that, that sinners will ever find true joy is knowing the baby born in Bethlehem. So about him... And about that sun, silent night, that first Christmas, the New Testament has two thoughts that, that it wants to convey. The Bible wants to share with us two thoughts. And I'm drawing a number of these thoughts from an incredible chapter of a book by J.I. Packer, Knowing God, chapter 5, God Incarnate. You should get it. You should read it. It's really, really, really a great explanation of the Incarnation. But there's two thoughts that I want to convey tonight. The first is this. The baby born in Bethlehem was God. So when we talk about Christmas joy found in the baby born in Bethlehem, the first thing we see is that the baby born in Bethlehem was God. Now, the Bible more precisely refers to Jesus as the Son of God. That's why the church historically confesses, I believe in God the Father, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. But what does the Bible mean when it calls Jesus Christ the Son of God? Nowhere is there a clearer answer provided than in John 1. If you have a Bible with you, just uh, grab it and open to John 1. If you don't, that's okay. We're going to put the verses on the screen. I've been using John 1 a lot through this Advent series. But John 1, I'm just going to read four verses, and I'm going to show you how this is a clear answer that the baby born in Bethlehem was God. John writes this, this is the Holy Word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by the Apostle John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then skip down to verse 14. He also writes, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice that John, in describing the Son of God, doesn't even use the language of the Son until until, the, until verse 14, he actually uses the language of the Word. The reason why he did that is because he didn't want to be misunderstood. He wanted people to understand that he was talking about Jesus, the Son of God. His whole purpose in writing the book was to, to help people know who Jesus was so that they might believe in him and then have life in his name. So he's identifying, he's helping us to understand the identity of the baby. He's helping us understand the identity of Jesus, the Son of God. Who is the baby born in Bethlehem? John says it's the Word. And then he, he goes on to describe 
what he's saying. And I just want to highlight a few things. When he uses the language of the Word, capital W, beginning was the Word, Word was with God, the Word was God, the original audience would have said God's Word. What is God's Word? What's that mean? God's Word is his creative power. God's Word is when he speaks, things happen. In the beginning is a reference to the opening part of your Bible in Genesis where God creates. How does he create? He speaks things into being. He, he creates everything that we see, all that is, by the word of his power. He speaks and things happen. So I just want to look at a few things in making this point that the baby born in Bethlehem was God. Let's just look at the Word. It says, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Brief explanation. Everything we've ever seen has a beginning. Everything. Everything you've ever observed. Any person in history has had a beginning. Jesus had no beginning. When other things began, he was. So what this teaches us is Jesus is eternal. Then it says, and the word was with God. What does this mean? It means that the word... Jesus and the Father have been in an eternal relationship, a relationship that has no beginning and no end. Active fellowship, eternal relationship, everlasting friendship. What's this teaching us? Jesus has, is a person. He has a personality. Then it says, and the word was God. Jesus is not a creature. Jesus wasn't created by God. He's divine in himself. Jesus is God. And it tells us that all things were made by him. Made through him. Everything that was made was made through Jesus. The atoms that are holding you together right now. He created them. Because he's the creator of all things. And then it tells us that in him was life. There is no physical life apart from Christ. Apart from Jesus. Scripture says that he's holding everything together. That means he's holding you together right now by the word of his power. Jesus is a sustainer. And then it says, and the life was the light of men. So in giving life, Jesus gave light. What does light do? It reveals. What is Jesus revealing? He's revealing himself. So the fact that you are alive tells you that deep, deep down, no matter what you think you believe, deep, deep down, because you are a creature who has been created, there is a sense of God. Jesus is the light. And then it tells us in verse 14, and the word became flesh. The baby in the manger was the eternal word of God. 
The baby born in Bethlehem was God. The Christmas message rests on the staggering fact that the child born in Bethlehem was God. But that's only half the story. Second point. The baby born in Bethlehem was God made man. So the first point, the baby born in Bethlehem was God. Second point, the baby born in Bethlehem was God made man. Now some of you are here tonight and you find Christianity hard to believe and thoughtful people, I know very thoughtful people who find Christianity, more specifically the gospel of Jesus, hard to believe. Some of the realities of it are difficult to comprehend. Can one man dying on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago really, can his death really deal with the sins of the world? Really? That's a reasonable question. Or you might say this. What does the death of Jesus on a Roman cross, one man on a cross thousands of years ago, what does that really have to do with the wrong things I've done and said and thought? Well, the resurrection. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Virgin birth? Serious biological conundrum? All the miracles that he did? People struggle with these things. But I'm going to give you a greater struggle than all of those. If you're struggling to believe Christianity, Christmas it gives you a, a, a major idea to struggle with. The real difficulty, the supreme mystery of the gospel is actually not in the things that I just said. The real staggering claim of the Christmas message is that Jesus was God made man. Once you, once you, be, once you accept the fact that Jesus is God, well, then it's possible to accept that the person who created everything can, can raise the dead to life. That's not that difficult of a thing to comprehend. But this, God becoming man, this is difficult to comprehend. God became flesh, the incarnation, incarnate. I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, what's incarnation? What is that anyway? They always talk about Christmas, the incarnation. Car, carn, carnal, carnate. So, so where we get the word, it's Latin. Carnivore, right? Meat, flesh. Made in, into flesh, became flesh is what incarnation means he became a human he became a man he became a real human baby and in becoming a baby this is just where it's crazy he didn't cease to be God 
So he's, he's got to be, in order to be our Savior, he's got to be 100% God. He's got to be 100% man. He wasn't less God than he was before when he was creating everything that is. But he did begin to be a man at the moment of conception, but certainly that night in the manger, he began to be human. But he wasn't, it wasn't as if Jesus was God minus some of his deity. If you, if you, if you, if you start to think that way, that God let go of some of his deity, you'll get yourself in some real theological problems. We won't get into all of them tonight. But he wasn't God minus. In fact, he was more God plus. He was God plus everything that it represents for him to be made man. He who made man was now learning what it felt like to be a man. Steep stuff on Christmas Eve, isn't it? It's incomprehensible. Some things above our pay grade. Some things beyond speculation. Some things are meant, they're truths that are meant to lead to adoration because your mind can't comprehend something so deep. But sometimes beauty does that. Sometimes beauty, something that is so true and so beautiful, it just takes your breath away. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever experienced something so powerful? It doesn't happen every day. It's not supposed to happen every day. But have you ever had an experience where your breath was taken away? It might be some kind of beautiful scene that you took in. It might be the, the day you got married. It might be the, the, the moment, a, a big moment in your life. Someone that you love returns from a deployment. Moments like that. I, rem- I, rem- I have moments like that where I experience beauty and power in a way that it just took my breath away. And I remember some of the birth of my child. I remember the birth of my first child. I'll never forget. Born, nurses holding her, never cried but alive, big eyes, nostrils flared. And I can see the nurse kind of pull, wheeling her through the room and then handing her to me. I, there's, a, there's a biology that's taking place here. There's, thing, like there's, there's chemistry. To, there's all kinds of stuff that actually can be understood, but there's something in that moment that was incomprehensible. It was just God, sense, beauty, power, worship. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you do. That's some of what happens when we begin to get our mind around. If God opens your eyes to the fact that the baby born in Bethlehem was God and the baby born in Bethlehem was God made man, there's a beauty to this that's incomprehensible. But joy is, is found. Christmas is, is, there's joy to be found in Christmas. 
when we understand that the baby born in Bethlehem was God, God made man. There's another verse that I just want to show you tonight that helps us to understand a little bit more of why, what was happening, what was the meaning behind God being made man. It's 2 Corinthians verses, verse 8. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, and it says this. Paul wrote this to the Corinthian church. He said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So this is just another way of explaining the incarnation. What was happening in the incarnation? God was, was rich. God is rich. And he was becoming poor. He was emptying himself so that we who are poor apart from Christ might become rich. Why? He did it out of love. He did it to obey the Father's will. This was the Father's plan, to save a sinful humanity. He did it because he loved us. When Jesus became a man, though, did, what part of his deity did he lose? In, in what way did he become poor? You've got to be careful here. You know, Jesus at times on earth seemed like he didn't know everything. He healed someone. Someone reached out and touched him. And they were healed. And he felt power go out of him. And he asked the question, who touched my clothes? He didn't know. Remember the, the, the loaves and the fishes? He asked him, how many you got? So there's, there's these moments where Jesus doesn't seem to know. And then there's other times where people come up and talk to him and he seems to know their whole shady past. He, he seems to, to know. Remember when uh, Peter's asking a question about taxes, you know, and he, he tells uh, Peter to go fishing and he'll find a coin in the mouth of the first fish that he catches. Like, whoa. He doesn't seem to know. Or he, the scripture tells us that he doesn't know the date of his own return to earth. Which is it? Is he God? Or is he man? What's going on there? The impression the Bible leaves us with is not so much that Jesus' deity was reduced, but, and this is how J.I. Packer says it, his divine capacities restrained. He was rich, but he restrained his God power so that he might empty himself and be our Savior. 
In becoming man, Jesus laid aside something. He laid aside his glory. He he voluntarily restrained his power. He accepted hardship. He accepted isolation. He accepted the mean treatment of people and their malice. He accepted, embraced misunderstanding, and finally embraced a death that was so agonizing, more spiritually than physically, that his mind nearly, his human mind nearly broke under the thought of it. Why? For love. For unlovely people, Jesus became poor so that unlovely people could become rich. The Christmas message is what we were singing when we started off. There's hope for everyone. Hope for a broken, troubled, tainted humanity because Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that he might one day hang on a cross to save us. Christmas joy is found in the baby born in Bethlehem. Let me ask the band to return as I make application. Let's make out, let's just talk about this for a second and what this could mean for us. People talk about the Christmas spirit. You always hear about that, right? What's the Christmas spirit? Like if you had to define it. Frank Sinatra. Christmas morning in your pajamas. Like what is it? Like you know when you have it and you know when you don't or you at least know when somebody else doesn't have it. But most of what we, what we mean when we talk about the Christmas spirit is like this sentimental, fuzzy, warm feeling that I get when it's the lights and the trees and the presents around the tree and wrapping presents. And it's like this feeling, and I, I love it. But I don't think that's really truly what the Christmas spirit is. The, the true Christmas spirit should connect to the baby born in Bethlehem who was God. And God made man. For Jesus, the Christmas spirit meant sacrificial love. It meant emptying himself. It meant becoming poor so that others could become rich. So this is so the Christmas spirit for us in looking at our master, our savior, ought to be something similar. The Christmas spirit ought to be the mark of every Christmas, not every Christian, not just at Christmas, but all year round. It's that idea of I, my life for yours, not your life for mine. We see needs all around us, but we turn our eyes away and we just walk by. And I, I, I feel, I'm not preaching at you, I'm, I'm, I feel it. So often we take, but we should be given. This Christmas spirit is the spirit of those who, like Jesus, live their lives on the principle of sacrificing for others. And we have so many opportunities before us in the next couple days, in the next week, in the next year to do this. To spend our time to actually make someone else's life better. To enrich someone's life. 
to give of our time, to step into people's troubles, to step into their problems, to actually care for others more. It's so hard to do, isn't it? To care for other people more than we care about ourselves. We're looking out. When we have the Christmas spirit, we're looking out for an opportunity. Is this an opportunity to do good to somebody else? Is this, another, is this an opportunity to make someone else smile? Is this an opportunity to lay down my preference? I want to play this game tonight, but everybody else wants to play this game tonight. What will I do? Make it about me? Or will I lay down my preferences for others? The Christmas spirit is about embracing the same kind of self-sacrificing love that Jesus demonstrated for you in the lives of others. I heard a great story. It's a story of the day before Christmas. A mom was really busy taking care of everything Christmas. Moms, so busy at Christmas, aren't they? Why is that? <laughs> like if moms don't get do, I mean, it wouldn't be Christmas without moms, right? I mean, give it up for your mom. Like say thanks to mom. My wife will be here at the 7 o'clock service, but I'm telling you, she was so tired when I left for the 4.30 service. She was just like napping. She'd been cranking, working all day so that we can have a really nice Christmas. So this story is about a mom busy taking care of Christmas, making food, wrapping presents. And she asked her young son if he would shine her shoes. People used to do this kind of thing. Now we just buy a new pair. But he asked her if, she, if he would shine her shoes because she was so busy. She wanted her shoes shined for Christmas. And so her seven-year-old son, with like the pride of a seven-year-old son, said, I'm going to shine her shoes. And so he took those shoes and he, he worked on them. And he shined them. And he brought them to his mom like a seven-year-old son for inspection. And she was blown away by how good he had shined those shoes. She was so amazed, she was so thankful that she actually gave him a quarter for doing it. The next morning, she's putting her shoes on. She puts those shoes on for Christmas, stands up. She feels like this weird bulge. Something's in one of the shoes. So she takes the shoe off, reaches inside, and finds the quarter wrapped in a piece of paper. And she opens up the piece of paper. And in a seven-year-old Childish scrawl are the words, I done it for love. I done it for love. That's the Christmas spirit. You're not doing things to, for what you can get out of it. You're not doing things for the shiny quarter. 
You're not doing things. When that happens, when you start living that way, you're living like your Savior, Jesus. Think of all the opportunities we're going to have. Christmas is a, I, I've been really busy. I can't wait to get through the second service tonight. So I can get some rest. But when I got to be careful, because when I, can I step into that mode? I don't want it to be, don't bother dad this week. He's been working so hard. I'm going to have all, all kinds of opportunities to have the Christmas spirit. And I want to be motivated. I want us to be motivated by Jesus' love for us, shown in the baby born in the Bethlehem. And when we're asked, or if we're asked why we lived the way we did, I hope our answer will be, we've done it for love. Amen.